Hey listeners, Christine and Maylee here. Though we are licensed medical professionals, nothing we speak on in the well conversation should be taken as health advice. These episodes are based on a review of current research available and well-known, frequently applied interventions used by professionals in the field. If you have a pre-existing medical condition, the information shared in this podcast may not be entirely safe or applicable for you. Please consult your healthcare practitioner before applying any changes to your health, especially if you have a pre-existing medical condition or are taking prescription medications. Welcome to another episode of The Well Conversation. I'm Dr. Christine. And I'm Dr. Maley. And today we'll be doing another Supplement Spotlight. Supplement Spotlights are definitely one of my favorite podcast series, and this one's going to be a good one. It's all about magnesium. You might remember magnesium as an element you learned about in grade 9 science class on the periodic table. But this mineral has several important roles in the human body and is one of the most common nutrient deficiencies we have in North America. Today, we're going to dive deep into the role that it plays in our body, how much is needed for optimal health, what foods are rich in magnesium, different forms of supplementation, when and how to take magnesium if you are supplementing with it, some of our favorite brands, and even some side effects. So to start us off, I'll talk a little bit about what magnesium actually does in our body. So magnesium mostly occurs in our bones. About a third of it you can find in your muscles, 20% in various soft tissues, and less than 1% in the blood. Magnesium is used in over 300 biological reactions in our body. So it's used in making new cells, energy production. So if you took any science classes, you'll remember ATP, and ATP is used for every single energetic reaction in your body. Magnesium is actually used to convert ADP, which is the inactive form, into ATP for your body to run through these energetic reactions. It's most commonly used for muscle contractions. If you've ever had a muscle cramp, a lot of people will say, oh, take some magnesium. If you've had a muscle cramp, you will never forget it. It's also used for nerve function, protein synthesis, bone development in children, for risk of osteoporosis. It's also great for blood sugar balance and also DNA synthesis. Okay, so let's talk about how much magnesium we really need in our day-to-day lives. So adults, it's recommended that they get between 310 milligrams a day up to 420 milligrams per day. Now, It's really important to remember, and this isn't any time we talk about different supplements on these series, that these numbers are to reach adequate levels in the blood. So this is to make sure you have sufficient magnesium levels and not using magnesium clinically to solve a problem. The second point is that each person's different. And so these numbers are always taken from population medicine study. So these are what the average person needs, and you may be different than that. For example, there's different populations who need more magnesium in their diet. So those who are pregnant need more. Those who have type 2 diabetes need more. There are people who have conditions such as celiac disease or inflammatory bowel disease or IBS, and they have decreased absorption of magnesium. So their body doesn't need more, but they need to intake more because they're not actually absorbing the same amount from their foods. 
alcoholics, so those who have alcoholic disorder, they are at risk for magnesium deficiency because alcohol depletes magnesium quickly, as well as elderly populations. So they, in general, have decreased absorption. A lot of them uh, are on medications, and they also have increased renal secretion, which means that they get rid of it more quickly in their urine, so they need higher amounts of magnesium in their diet for those reasons. So when we see these numbers like 310 to 420 milligrams per day, just remember that you may not fall into this category, and you may need more than this. And it's also important to note that a lot of people will try to get everything they can from food. So to talk about some foods that are rich in magnesium, some of the top magnesium-rich foods include pumpkin seeds, dark chocolate, my personal favorite, <laughs> almonds, chia seeds, cashews, spinach, legumes, and beans. Also, just in general, dark leafy greens tend to be much higher in magnesium than other vegetables. And we'll also include a chart and some resources on magnesium-rich foods on our social media and on our website if you're interested. So when we look at magnesium and why this is a really popular supplement, it's because a lot of us in North America are deficient. The first problem is that the true magnesium status of the North American population is lacking. So about only 1% of magnesium is found in our serum. So as Christine mentioned at the beginning, 1% of magnesium is found in our blood. This is the amount that we measure. So if you go get your blood test done to see how much magnesium you have, this is what we're looking at. The issue here is that these levels are really tightly regulated. So our body does a really good job of not allowing this level to fluctuate too much because this can be dangerous for a body. But then if you are deficient, so maybe you don't have as much magnesium in your muscle cells and we're testing your blood cells, you're not gonna get that from the blood test. So magnesium in your actual muscle cells could be much lower than your serum levels. So that's really important to take into consideration when you are having your levels tested. So if we look at the numbers in Canada, this is still measuring that serum concentration. So that concentration that may be falsely elevated, magnesium is still one of the four nutrients that we're lacking most in the Canadian diet. So in Canada, if we look at those over the age of 19, still more than 34% of those have magnesium, which is below the recommended amounts. And this is looking at that possibly falsely elevated one. So a lot of people are deficient in magnesium, and it's estimated that almost all individuals in North America who are not supplementing may be deficient in this mineral. And it's funny that we talk about how the Canadian population and the North American population is so commonly deficient in magnesium. And like Maylee was saying in the intro that the last time you probably heard about magnesium was in your grade 12 science class. And like even before I went to naturopathic medical school, like magnesium was probably the last thing on my mind. I was like, oh, it's just one of those things. You just eat some yeah, vegetables like and you'll be balanced. It's one of those minerals that there's, yeah, there's lots of minerals we need. but we Exactly. Get it. And it's not like I'm checking all the nutrition facts and making yeah. sure that I hit 100% every day of the magnesium, I just assumed with a well-rounded diet, maybe I'll get all my magnesium. But I would probably say it's one of the top three maybe commonly used supplements by naturopathic doctors because naturopathic doctors know that so many people are deficient in magnesium and it's so important for all of these processes in our body and that without magnesium, you know, a lot of people will start getting muscle cramps. And just like Maylee said, you never forget a muscle cramp. <laughs> and even its benefit in blood sugar balance. So we were talking about how people with diabetes might need a little more magnesium. 
And yeah, it's just interesting to me how like most people really don't think about magnesium in their diet or to supplement. But in reality, it's one of the most important supplements that you can take. And I was reading a study and what they were hypothesizing is that if we look at the rise in a lot of these inflammatory conditions, so things like type 2 diabetes or metabolic syndrome and obesity, and we compare the magnesium depletion in our soils and in our diets, there's this correlation. And it makes sense physiologically as well, because we know that magnesium is really important for our glucose regulation. So regulating our blood sugar levels. If these become unregulated, we can see these inflammatory reactions downstream, which can lead to and are risk factors for a lot of chronic diseases that are on the rise. And something that Christine and I are very passionate about, because again, it's one of those things that it's so easy to incorporate more. It's just the education and the awareness of these really common deficiencies. And it's very important to kind of incorporate magnesium at a stage where, say, for example, you get diagnosed with one of many of the chronic diseases involved in like the metabolic health spectrum. And just being able to ensure adequate magnesium from the start is one step in the positive direction in preventing a lot of these other diseases, which is, you know, obviously preventative medicine, one of our passions. So It also begs the question of why is the North American diet and why are North Americans so deficient in magnesium? And one of the clearest answers is our diet. So we have so much processed food in our diet now. So many people are consuming a lot more processed food now than they were, say, 50 years ago. And processed food is quite low in magnesium. If you remember the foods I was talking about that are high in magnesium, they're all, you know, nuts and seeds, dark green leafy vegetables, and of course, some dark chocolate. But (laughs) (laughs) And if you think about a processed diet, it's not like you're getting all these dark green leafy vegetables, you're not getting all these pumpkin seeds in your diet. And like, those are just a couple of examples. But if you're eating, you know, fast food every day, the chance of you reaching adequate magnesium are very, very low. And another point to mention is in agriculture. So our soil is a lot less rich in magnesium than it was many years ago. And I actually read something that was interesting with the use of more synthetic chemical fertilizer, which is becoming more and more prevalent as, you know, we're trying to make a lot more food on the same land without the same amount of crops dying, which is, you know, we have to continue to produce so much food for an ever-expanding population. And I read that the actual use of this synthetic chemical fertilizer, they're using more potassium salts in the soil, and potassium salts can actually deplete magnesium and calcium in the soil. So our soil has a lot less magnesium than it did many years ago because we're changing our agricultural practices to sort of suit the increasing population and the increasing food demands. Yeah, and just to add to that, the increasing population, if we look at the increased amount of carbon in our air and we look at the levels of CO2 in the air, that, again, increases the acidity in the soil and this depletes the soil of magnesium and then also depletes the uptake of magnesium from these plants. So if our soil is less rich in magnesium, the plants are now going to be less rich in magnesium and then even if you are having a diet that's really high in fruits and vegetables and a lot of these whole foods, it's just not there in the food in the same amounts. And then if we further take these foods and these, let's say a grain and then process it into something like a pasta, like a white or a white flour, the amount of magnesium left there is almost negligible. 
So you can see how easy it is to become deficient when the processed food has no magnesium and our food from farms, like even whole foods, are coming out with less magnesium than it did many years ago. So that's kind of all kind of contributing to this dangerous path of magnesium deficiency. So if we look now at, okay, what's the big deal? If you are lacking magnesium, you may not have the symptoms. You may not have the leg cramps. You may not get headaches. You may not have uh, your blood sugar levels kind of out of whack. So if we look at what are the actual conditions associated with it, and again, this is really, it's important to mention that this doesn't mean it's going to happen. These are associated conditions. So in research, the following conditions are associated with the lack of magnesium. So high blood pressure, that's number one, as well as reduced bone mineral density. So that just means the density of your bones, which is a way to measure osteoporosis and osteoporosis risk. Colon cancer is also associated with low magnesium levels, general cardiovascular events. So these include things like heart attack and stroke, as well as migraines. Magnesium also impairs growth of our lean body mass. So this impairs the body to make enough muscle. And so the percentage of fat to muscle increases. Poor magnesium levels or low magnesium levels are associated with decreased physical performance in sports. And diabetes, we've mentioned it a few times now, is the most common disorder that's associated with low levels of magnesium. So low magnesium can be a risk factor for diabetes or there's a possibility that maybe diabetes may also cause low magnesium. There's just this association and it's, we don't know which one causes the other one necessarily, but we know that they are linked. And most likely it's a little bit of both. So there's probably increased secretion by our kidneys of magnesium because those with diabetes tend to have more electrolyte imbalances because they urinate more often. And magnesium, we've mentioned already that it's used to help control our blood sugar. So this makes sense that if we can't properly control our blood sugar, uh, this is going to cause high blood glucose levels and can lead to diabetes downstream. And the last thing I wanted to mention was obesity. So obesity can also induce magnesium deficiency. So this one, we almost look at the opposite of the other conditions that I mentioned. Rather than low magnesium being a risk factor for the other diseases, obesity actually can cause magnesium deficiency. And speaking of a lack of magnesium, there are also some medications that will decrease the absorption or actually deplete magnesium within your body. So bisphosphonates, which are medications used for osteoporosis, can decrease the absorption of magnesium. So usually we try to separate this medication and magnesium by a couple of hours if a patient is taking both. Diuretics, which are used for high blood pressure, they will increase the loss of magnesium in your urine which will lead to magnesium depletion in your body. PPIs, which are proton pump inhibitors used for acid reflux or GERD. Patients should really get their magnesium levels measured before deciding to take a PPI as PPIs can decrease the levels of magnesium in your body. And those on proton pump inhibitors who started supplementing often have difficulties getting their magnesium levels up without stopping the proton pump inhibitor. So these are just some of the very common conditions that people face and are medicated for that can either deplete or decrease absorption of magnesium. Which again, may be one of those reasons why we're seeing 
more deficiencies. Just another thing to add to the list of there's a lot more people on things like PPIs now than there were 50 years ago. Okay, so let's get into supplementation. So this is what we really like to talk about in these podcasts. Magnesium is a good one because there are several different types of magnesium and I know it can be really overwhelming if you tell a patient, okay, you should take magnesium. You always have to go through which type because there's lots of different types and it can get really overwhelming. So magnesium must always be bonded together with something. So it's always, you'll see on a pill bottle, it'll say magnesium something. The difference is the thing that magnesium is bound to. So when you're deciding which supplement to take, you need to consider how much actual elemental magnesium you're getting. So that's the actual amount of magnesium that's bound to it. You also need to think about what are you using this magnesium for? Is it just to correct one of these deficiencies or is it something that you're using clinically as well. Where do you want the magnesium to go in your body? And then you also have to think about the individual and how that individual is going to react. For example, let's get into some of the different types. So magnesium oxide. This one has laxative effects. So if you have functional constipation, this may be okay for you. But if you tend to have looser stools, this is not the magnesium for you. Magnesium oxide is also very poorly absorbed by us, um, but it also has the highest amount of magnesium by weight. So that elemental amount I was talking about, there's more of that, but the oxide that it's bound to makes it less absorbable. This is a very inexpensive form of magnesium. So sometimes people just grab this one at the store because it's the cheapest one and it looks like it has high amounts. So although the dose may be high, you may not be getting as much of that magnesium out of it because you're not absorbing it. And it does have laxative effects and they are very strong laxative effects. So typically I'll find a lot of patients if they're like, oh yeah, I'm already taking a magnesium. I picked one up at the local drugstore and I ask either for a picture of the label or a name of the brand. And it's often one of these brands that will only carry magnesium oxide. It'll say magnesium plus on the front or something. And, but when you actually look at the ingredients list, it's magnesium oxide. So deep down in my head, I'm like, oh, if they're trying to correct the magnesium deficiency, this is not the one that I'll go for. And also I'll have a lot of patients say like, oh, I can't take magnesium because it gives me diarrhea. And I'm like, well, yeah, 100%. It's great for people who are constipated because it'll start getting things moving. But yes, it'll be terrible for you if you have normal to loose stools because one of the side effects of taking too much magnesium oxide is that it will cause diarrhea. So a lot of these patients will come to me saying like, oh, no, I can't take it because of the diarrhea. I'm like, oh, but let's just try one more thing. It's (laughs) actually what um, is used for a lot of for colonoscopy prep. Um, for a lot of patients is drinking a bunch of magnesium oxide. So yeah, it can definitely have a laxative side effect and you will know if you've ever experienced ever experienced that. And magnesium citrate is another one that also can have a laxative effect. So again, if you tend to have looser bowels or you're kind of in the middle, this is not the one for you because this one isn't as severe as a magnesium oxide, but magnesium citrate can most definitely cause diarrhea and loose stools in a lot of the population. So again, if yours is magnesium citrate, this may not be the one for you. A very common brand that has a magnesium citrate is that Calm brand c-a-l-m it's a powder and put it into some warm water before bed sounds nice some people feel like they can't have this because of the diarrhea and know that it's not the magnesium again it's just the form 
And it is, I like the brand. It's honestly, truly delicious. I had a roommate once and we really loved magnesium time <laughs> where we would just, you know, before bed, because it can also have a calming, a nice calming effect. We would have it right before bed and like we'd mix it up and it would taste delicious and it was like nice and spritzy and we'd like sing a song about magnesium time. <laughs> this sounds fake, exactly but it was... exactly what roommates said. <laughs> but it was it's real. not fake. <laughs> but... Also, with that being said, we were also both, you know, a lot of women tend towards constipation rather than loose stools. So for people who did have constipation, like that was a great option because it would get things moving, get people regular, which is one of the most important things you can do for your health. But obviously, on the other side of things, if you already have regular stools or loose stools, then it's not really the best one for you. Yeah. And again, this is another really popular one. It's a lot of the ones that people are on when they come see me. And looking at the elemental amount. So this one actually has, so the magnesium citrate molecule is very large. Like the citrate part is very large. So it has the least amount of elemental magnesium by weight in this. So you may need a higher dose of this one to get the same amount of elemental magnesium in order to correct a deficiency. So then if you're consuming this in higher amounts, there's a higher risk of that laxative effect because you need to take more of it. Okay. The next one is probably my favorite magnesium, magnesium bisglycinate. So this one is bound to a glycinate. This one is perfect if you are sensitive to that citrate or oxide like we just mentioned. Um, this one is great for calming and for relaxation. Again, that glycine that it's bound to is a larger molecule like that citrate molecule. So you do have to take more of it than you would for, again, that magnesium oxide because the elemental amount is a little bit lower. But this one's great because glycine, the thing that it's bound to, also has a role. So glycine is a relaxing neurotransmitter in our brain. So this can really help us relax. So this one is great for that before bedtime. So if you want to have a little routine with your roommates like Christine, <laughs> unnamed old roommate, um, this one is great because again, you're getting your magnesium, but it can also help calm and relax, which is really nice before bed. This one is a little bit more expensive than the oxide or the citrate, but again, all magnesium supplements that we're talking about are fairly reasonable when we look at general supplement costs. It's not something like a fish oil or a probiotic, which can get really pricey. These kind of stay within a certain range. Some other ones are magnesium chloride, magnesium malate, magnesium sulfate, and threonate. So chloride is not used that often. Um, you usually just see this topically. Sometimes you can see it in those muscle cramp formulas, so it can go on top of your muscle topically. Malate, if you're sensitive to citrate and oxide, it's another good one, kind of like the bisglycinate. This one doesn't have that calming effect like the glycine molecule. Malic acid, though, does have a role in our body, and it's used for energy production. So magnesium malate is often prescribed to those with fibromyalgia or those with pain issues. I was on a chronic pain and chronic fatigue focus shift when I was still a clinical intern. And this was the magnesium of choice that we would use for patients with fibromyalgia or chronic fatigue syndrome. And I found a lot of patients would notice a significant difference between taking this versus taking an oxide or a citrate or a bisglycinate, whatever they were taking before. And we never rule out the use of magnesium before we've tried malate. 
And actually, personally, I've always used a bisglycinate before sleep. Of course, after the years of magnesium time <laughs> with the citrate, I was on a, a bisglycinate for a while. And I just recently switched to a malate just because I was curious. I found a good brand. It was on sale. And I was like, oh, I'm running out. Maybe I'll just try the malate. It's had significant benefits for my sleep. I found that it, it really helps with my sleep. And I don't know if it's the magnesium specifically, but it's like I've had great sleep since taking the malate. And I know that a lot of people with issues with sleep or with chronic pain also feel the same way. So this could be a great option for those. I need to try a malate. Maybe it's that's like, oh, what I'm missing. A nice deep sleep. <laughs> <laughs> I love my bisglycinate. I don't know if I can switch, but maybe I'll try it out. The magnesium 3 and 8 is another one I want to try. This one's fairly new. This one can actually be used to enhance sleep quality and has research for cognitive impacts because unlike the other magnesiums, when it's bound to the L-threonate, this magnesium can actually get through our blood-brain barrier into our brains. So the other one that we talked about was the bisglycinate. So the glycine molecule gets into the brain through a magnesium bisglycinate. But this one with the threonate attached to it, L-threonate and the magnesium, allows magnesium to act in our brains. This one's probably the most expensive magnesium. And again, I think it's just because it's fairly new. Still being researched for like what exactly it's the most optimal for, but definitely has a lot of potential. Yeah. And the very last one is magnesium sulfate. So this one you will know from Epsom salts. So this one we do not usually take orally. It can be used to actually lower blood pressure fairly quickly. This one tastes really bad. It has a very strong laxative effect. So this one you will notice whether you're usually constipated or not, you will notice this laxative effect, but it's really relaxing for our muscles. So like the magnesium chloride, this one is used topically and this we absorb through the skin so it can work topically. On the topic of supplementation, it's also important to note when and how to take the supplement. So magnesium is actually best taken on an empty stomach so that there isn't any other food or any other supplement or medication that interferes with its absorption, which quite commonly its absorption is interfered. It very easily interacts with other supplements and is actually just most effective on its own. So most of the time when we recommend it, we recommend taking it as soon as you wake up and right before bed. So we talked about some of the types that can actually help with sleep and relaxation before bed. I keep mine on my nightside table with like a bottle of water that's hopefully almost always full so that I'm I'm able to take it as soon as I wake up and then right before bed it's like one of the last things I do I take my magnesium drink a lot of water yeah, and I take my go to too. bed and the other thing that interacts with it is coffee so if you're one of those people who gets out of bed and immediately has your coffee I wouldn't take it in the morning because coffee really decreases the absorption so you're kind of wasting your supplement if you are taking it in the morning and then chugging a bunch of coffee and also we talked about how some of these drugstore brands or the more commonly found brands can be lower quality or have this oxide form that is actually the cheapest and maybe the least effective in your case. And it's also important to consider quality for supplements. I'll never stop talking about having quality supplements, having third-party testing, having testing for heavy metals. And like we talked about, for example, the magnesium L3 innate version, this one effectively crosses the blood-brain barrier. Do you really want to put something in your body that will cross over into your brain that hasn't been tested for heavy metals, for contamination, and just to make sure that there's actually all the magnesium L3 innate that the bottle 
says there is. So I find it's really important to consider quality in your supplements. And that's a conversation you can have with your naturopathic doctor very easily. And they'll be able to recommend some of the best brands out there. In this case, like we discussed, it's a lot about the type than the brand. And it also depends on the reason why you're taking it. Most of the time, I'll say that Canprev is also an easy to find high quality brand. They have one called magnesium bisglycinate, but it's actually a combo formula. This one I don't mind. I find that it is high quality and I do find that some people do okay with a combo formula, especially people who are looking to take magnesium bisglycinate, but also have some side benefits of increasing bowel movements. So people who are constipated, this one's great because it has the bisglycinate. It'll help with muscle cramps. It'll help with absorption and correcting deficiencies, but it also has a little bit of the oxide and the citrate in there with magnesium. So you get the boost of magnesium, but also a little added side benefits of increased digestive movement. Another question I get a lot is what form factor. So magnesium bisglycinate is often sold in capsules in liquids or in powder forms. I find a lot of these, like most of them are okay. It's mostly depending on your preference. If you don't like taking capsules, there's a lot of really high quality liquid forms or powder forms. The magnesium citrate that we are talking about by Calm Naturals is powder form. And people like that, if you're looking for a magnesium citrate, Canprev also has very delicious liquid forms of it. It tastes like um, lime freezies. Yeah, <laughs> I, I get that freezy taste as well. And then you can mix it into your water. But with all of these, it's important to also note, like we talked about with timing, make sure it's kind of taken on its own when you wake up or before bed and away from your coffee. And also to note that some of these powders or liquids are absolutely delicious. Just be careful for the type of sweetener and the additives that it might have as well, because some of these sweeteners can be damaging to your gut. Some people are quite sensitive to the sweeteners or additives in there. And in general, when I'm taking a supplement, I just try to look for the least number of ingredients as possible because at the end of the day, it's a supplement that I want to take the one ingredient. I'm not looking to consume an excessive amount of stevia or like sugar alcohols or emulsifiers or anything. So usually I go with the capsule because it's most, most of the time it's the most simple, least number of additives in a high quality brand. Yeah. And the other thing is if you are taking it at night, if you put it in a large glass of water, we just have to think about practicality. If you drink that entire glass of water, you're probably going to have to get up in an hour and go to the washroom. So and that is also detrimental to your sleep exactly. quality. <laughs> Having to get up the number of times you have to get up to go use the washroom in the middle of the night is each time is a disruption to your sleep. So it's important to note that as well. For people who price point is one of the most important factors in supplementation, the form is more important than the actual cost. So you don't have to go out and look for like the $60 bottle of magnesium. It's mostly like if you're looking for a bisglycinate, make sure that it's purely a bisglycinate because a cheap bisglycinate will still be an effective bisglycinate. So some of the brands that might be cheaper might just use different forms. So as long as you look on the back, the ingredient label saying magnesium bisglycinate, or if you're looking for magnesium oxide, just make sure you know exactly what you're getting by looking at the actual ingredients themselves. Yeah, because like Christine had mentioned, some of them say magnesium bisglycinate, and that's what you see on the front, but that's not actually what it is. And I know it can be super confusing. So on the back, they have to actually list the forms. So if you're looking for a bisglycinate, look for that bisglycinate on the back, avoiding things like oxide, citrate, sulfate. And the last point that we always like to touch on is looking at magnesium toxicity or looking at side effects, because 
anytime you're supplementing with something, this is always something you need to consider. Magnesium, because we are so deficient in it, it's great because we it's really hard to reach magnesium toxicity through diet and then supplementing with say two to 400 grams or milligrams, not great. <laughs> milligrams. <laughs> milligrams. Um, so if you do have kidney disease or if you consume very, very high doses of the minerals, maybe at that 200 grams I just mentioned, um, you may be at a greater risk for magnesium toxicity. So signs of toxicity would be nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, muscle weakness, irregular breathing, and urinary retention, so not being able to urinate. This would be, you would notice this after a very, very high dose, or if for some reasons your kidneys are not functioning properly to get rid of that magnesium. And then as we've mentioned several times throughout this podcast, looser stools, they are not a sign of magnesium toxicity. It's more the form of the magnesium. So if you do have just loose stools or diarrhea as you're taking magnesium, this is more of a side effect rather than a toxicity. And what you want to do here is just like we said, look for on that label, is there oxide? Is there sulfate? Is there citrate? If there is, you want to consider switching to maybe a bisglycinate or a malate form or lowering your dose. Um, but again, this is why it's always so important to check with your naturopathic doctor when you're supplementing and make sure, first of all, magnesium is right for you. We talk about people are often deficient, but it's always good to make sure you should and that you should spend money on this and also which form is best because there's going to be one that's better for you than the other forms. Magnesium is truly one of the things that I think is like a life changer yeah. for me. <laughs> I remember in university, I was exercising a lot and I was drinking so much water and I was just like, I had so many muscle cramps and they were so painful. And like, I would get one, it would just be like clockwork. Like I would work out, probably deplete myself of all these like good electrolytes through my sweat. And then without a doubt, I would have a muscle cramp like within the next hour and they would be excruciating. And I remember at that time I went and I bought, you know, one of these common drugstore brands of magnesium and, you know, with with a lot of oxide in it, I'm sure, <laughs> judging by the side effect that I had. And when I finally switched on to a pure form of magnesium bisglycinate, like the, the changes I noticed in muscle cramps alone was substantial. And I do find that it, it has a benefit to like blood sugar as well on days when I go stretch, when I just kind of abandon all my supplements, <laughs> which, you know, happens with the supplement burden sometimes. Um, when I abandon my magnesium, I, I notice kind of a difference in my blood sugar levels I think like I crave more and like the spikes and the drops I feel like are more they're more noticeable to me but that's just me being like a supplement junkie <laughs> I would say my sleep was the, the main thing that I really find magnesium helps with like mm -hmm. oh it's amazing yeah and I, I always find with patients they're like that magnesium yeah like really did the trick for me especially the glycine like the magnesium is glycinate yeah there's a reason I don't want to switch from it <laughs> Amazing. I'm going to get her onto the mallet just for, <laughs> just for an experiment. <laughs> Thank you to our listeners for tuning in to another Supplement Spotlight. If you have a supplement that you're thinking of trying and would like more information on it, please feel free to DM us on Instagram or drop it in the comments below or send us an email if you'd like. And we'd love to cover a supplement of your interest in our next Supplement Spotlight. But until next time, feel well, learn well. <laughs>